0: Hey everyone, this is Julie. I'm the lead pastor at The Grove Church. Welcome to our message podcast. We are so glad you decided to listen in. For more information, visit our website, thegrovecommunity.net, and check out our Instagram, thegrovefc. But most importantly, we hope this message inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. We are in our third week of our series based around this character named Samson. Now, Samson is a very complicated man. It's a very difficult story to read. It might make you cringe at multiple different spots in the story, but Samson had such great potential. He was set apart. He was called by God from birth to make a difference for his entire people group because they were under oppression by this neighboring people group called the Philistines. So God had called Samson, he had given him supernatural strength in order to achieve his mission. And we've all been there in life, we we have things that we want to do. Maybe we have different goals, we have different dreams, but at the end of the day, we all really want to make a mark on on humanity, on society. We all want to leave it different than the way we found it, and yet sometimes we tend to get off track, which is what happened with Samson. So from a very early age, God asked him to do this thing called a Nazarite vow, which meant he had to make three commitments. Who remembers what they were? No drinking. Don't cut your hair. And don't touch anything dead, animal or human. Just don't get around it. So he had these three things that he was supposed to do. And yet, he couldn't commit to them. He had good intentions, but he continued to make these bad decisions. But then at the end of last week, finally, finally, we saw a light at the end of the tunnel. He was in a battle. He was exhausted, completely worn out. He thought he was literally going to die because he was so hungry, so thirsty. Finally, he turns to God and he says, God, I need you. I want to be connected with you again Please restore me. If you don't, I am going to die. He says, I I can't do it anymore. I've been trying to do it on my own, which we can relate to sometimes. I've been trying to do it on my own, but I can't. I need you, please help me. God stepped in, he restored him, and the Bible says that for 20 years, he led Israel. We're like, finally, some good news in this really awful story and you're going, yes, this is going in a good direction, things are gonna get better, and then they don't. They get worse again, and the entire rest of the story is a series of what not to do. There's this new commercial on, it's a Geico commercial, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there's this group of young kids, you know, 20-somethings, and they're running through the woods, it's, it's obvious that they're in a fake horror movie, they're being pursued by something, and they get to this, um, a clearing, and they see a car, and one of the girls is like, we should go get in the running car, and one of the guys is like, that's a terrible idea. Let's go get in that creepy shed with all the chainsaws, and they're like, great, and they run towards the creepy shed with all of the sharp objects, and there's this man lurking in the background, and, and it, then it goes on to say, if you are in a horror movie, you make poor decisions. It's just what you do. And you're like, yes, because that's how the entire rest of the Samson story reads. He goes to do something and you're like, no, Samson, don't go towards the shed with all the chainsaws. Go towards the running car. And the whole story is like that. It's so frustrating to read. He goes and he messes up his life. And yet you're like, this is a guy with so much potential. How does he continue to run towards the chainsaws? And he did it one step at a time. He messed up his life one small step at a time that led to these larger consequences. So last year, my husband, Joseph, and I, we went on a trip up to Steamboat. I love all things active, mountain hiking, snowshoeing, and, and Joseph is like, mm, about them. So, But we were on this vacation, and I was like, I would really love to go snowshoeing up at Rabbit Ear Pass, which is in the mountains. So we get ready to go, and, and, and he loves me, and he tolerates snowshoeing, so he said yes. But I think that that's a better alternative to him you know, like loving snowshoeing, but tolerating me. So I'm okay with it. And so we went on this this snowshoe journey. We, we got all bundled up. We left to go on our trip. And uh, and the whole way, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so gorgeous. It's so pretty. And there had been so much snow that even in the very beginning, to figure out where your trail is, there are these um, sticks that are actually made of trees, carved down trees. And they have a, a yellow or orange sign on top of it. And so that's how you know where to go when you're walking on six feet of snow in the middle of nowhere. So we continue on and we're we're chatting and talking about life and our kids and our marriage and having a grand old time where all of a sudden we stop and we realize it's been a long time since we've seen one of those poles with the yellow on top of it. And so we kind of go, oh no, we're lost. And there's this moment of pure terror when you're in the middle of the woods and you're lost. I mean, it can get real, and you're starting to go, how much water do I have, how far off the track are we, how much food do we have, and I'm starting to realize I didn't leave the note that I normally do on my car, which is like, hey, forest ranger, my husband and I, here are our names, and I have to leave a middle name because there's three Joseph Pentas in my family, so I need to make sure that they know which Joseph Penta I'm with, and we say, what time we're leaving, how long we plan on being back, and then I'm usually like, and if I don't come back, tell my mom I love her and I normally leave the sign in my car. And we didn't leave the sign, so I'm like, nobody knows where we went, which direction we took off in, but I'm thinking, okay, I'm I'm coming down, and I'm going, you know what, worse comes to worse, I truly don't think that we're gonna decide to sacrifice myself for food, because I'm kind of scrawny, and I don't really think it'd be worth the effort, so I think I'm gonna be okay. And eventually, we start backtracking, trying to find our trail, we get back to where we were, but we were lost for quite a while. And the thing is, we didn't know at first we were lost. It wasn't the first step, the second step necessarily, the third step even, that it took for us to realize that we were lost, but in fact we were lost. And we didn't plan on getting lost, but it did happen. And this is what happens to us in life. Nobody plans on taking steps towards a bad decision. Nobody plans on getting lost, losing their way, but in fact we do. We take one small step that leads to another small step that leads to another small step that ends up getting us off track and leading to some larger consequences. And so we're gonna watch as Samson does this in his own life. He had such potential. He had the chance to make a difference in his community, and yet time and time he got off track. So as we know, he had 20 years that went by They were fabulous, awesome years. And then here is where he gets off way. Here is where he gets off track. And we see that Samson takes the first wrong step. Samson takes the first wrong step in Judges 16.1. It says, one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. Now the reason this is important is because Gaza is in the Philistine town and Samson is a really famous Israelite. They're at war with each other and they want to kill him. And so they're very excited that he is there in their territory where he ha- where they have the option to kill him. So they say, hey, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. So a little bit of background information. Gaza is 25 miles away from where Samson was located, 25 miles away, which means in steps, if you calculate it out, he took 56,250 steps to walk to Gaza. He had 56,250 opportunities to say, I took the first wrong step, but maybe I should change my mind. Maybe it's not a great idea to go into enemy territory to shack up with a prostitute after 20 years of faithful ministry. Maybe this isn't a good decision. And yet he doesn't do that. He takes 56,250 steps towards the wrong decision, towards this large consequence that would not go well. It would not end well. And sometimes in life, I think we justify ourselves. Maybe he started out saying, I'm just gonna head in that direction. I can just head there, but I don't necessarily have to follow through with it when I get there, I can always change my mind. But yet he didn't. Because oftentimes when we start off on a course, on a path, that's the direction that it's easiest to keep going in. And he did not turn around, he kept going. He kept taking these small steps that led to big consequences. These small steps that lead to big consequences. He took the first wrong step. So what next thing does he do? What next step do we see him taking that led to his life going downhill? Well, the next thing that we see him doing is that he taunts his enemy. He taunts his enemy. Now, as I just said, Gaza is the chief city in the Philistine area. It's like Washington, D.C., of the Philistine area. So he goes there. Now, this might be crass, and it's kind of gross to say, but he could have found a prostitute in Israel. He didn't have to go to Gaza, to the place where his enemies are, to find a prostitute, but yet this is what he does. He goes there, and he taunts them. Now, he finds out about their plan. I don't know how he found out about it, but he does and he realizes that they are waiting for him to kill him at dawn. He's already taunted them by going into their city, and then he decides to taunt them even more, and he thinks, you know what? I I know this plan, so I'm not gonna gonna go out at dawn. I'm gonna get up in the middle of the night. I'm gonna leave. Now, that's what he should've done. He should've just left and walked the 25 miles back to his home, but he doesn't make good decisions, right? That's just what Samson does. When we're in the Samson story, he just doesn't make great decisions. So he decides that rather than just leaving, he is going to taunt the enemy. So back in the day, these cities, they were fortified by walls. And I'm gonna put on um, some excavations of this, the modern day city of Gaza. You can see on the bottom corner there, there's a pretty thick wall. So these cities were fortified by walls because they were trying to protect each other. They were were saying, hey, if if an enemy comes upon us and we're alone in the field, they're gonna overtake us. But if we live in this fortified city where there's soldiers walking on top of the gates together, we're stronger together. But then they had these gates that were guarded. So Samson goes to this wall, he goes to the gate to get out and rather than just leaving, he's like, I have a great idea, I'm gonna taunt the enemy by pulling out the doors of the gate. And not only just pouring, pulling out the door, but also pulling out like the posts that the doors went on. Because he's basically flipping them off by saying, You think that you're strong? You think your city is safe? I am so strong that I am taking away your safety. I'm taking away your security. Now, These aren't normal doors. These aren't doors that we have to the closet where they're hollow on the inside and they maybe weigh, I don't know how much a door weighs, 10 pounds, and he's lifting off these 10-pound doors. These were fortified doors to a fortified city that were made of solid, thick wood and metal poles so that they couldn't get in with battering rams. They believe that these doors weighed around 700 pounds. And I'm not sure if that's each or total, but either way, it's a lot. Do you know the average person can bench press, sorry, the average male can bench press about 135 pounds. And and like heavy, like people that do it professionally can, at tops, can bench press about 360. Now that's bench pressing. If you have to lift something over your head, it's harder and you have less weight that you can do. Now for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so impressive because like I said, I'm pretty scrawny. So I've been trying to work on my strength and I've been going to this class at the gym called Body Pump where there's a bar and you do these weights with the bar. So I'm in there the other day and I am feeling really proud of myself that I got up, that I made the effort to be there and we're in the first track after the warm-up and I'm like, I'm sweating it, guys. I mean, I'm like huffing and puffing and as I start looking around, I realize... (laughs) I have the least amount of weight on my bar than everybody else in the entire class. Grandma Gertie, like two people above of me, she has double the amount of weight that I'm doing on mine and I'm going, okay, I think I need to add some. I mean, that's heavy. I would like to be more strong but I can't even imagine being Samson strong where you can just lift doors off of their hinges and walk away with 700 pounds of doors but he was taunting the enemy and doing it so loud and proud and in their face. And we look at him and we go, Samson, that is such a poor decision. That's just what you do. But yet, a lot of times in our life, we taunt the enemy. We taunt our enemy. A couple series ago, We did a series called Behind the Scenes where we talked about how there are actually forces of good and evil in the world and how there's this fallen angel and we call him Satan and that he just kind of works behind the scenes to make life in the world messy. But yet God is bigger and he's stronger and we, we, we have God on our side. But he is a real enemy and sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we taunt him with our actions. And the Bible says that we are not supposed to taunt him, but we are supposed to, in fact, stay alert. In 1 Peter 5.8, it says this. It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour." It says, hey, listen, stay alert. Don't be like Samson and taunt him. Stay alert. So what does this look like? I think sometimes we taunt the devil in in our own actions. For those of you that have read the Bible and you're like, hey, you know, I don't necessarily love these verses and this concept, but I feel like God has made it pretty clear that he wants us to wait to have sex before marriage, and he's made this pretty clear, and not everybody loves it, and I get that, but that's what he says, right? Don't shoot the messenger. But yet, sometimes we're like, hey, I really want to do this. This is an important commitment that I have made. I want to do what God's best is for me. But then we start taunting the enemy, and we're like, hey, boyfriend, girlfriend, like sleep in, sleep in my bed tonight. Like, What could go wrong? Or we're like, hey... Let's take off all our clothes and see what happens. We're, we're taunting the devil. We're not making necessarily great decisions. Or let's say we're on a work trip and we're married and everybody's hanging out at the bar and, and we start talking with somebody. We've been going through a rough day and we necessarily can't get a hold of our, our, our significant other, our spouse, and we start getting into a conversation and everybody starts leaving, but we stay. Well, we're kinda like taunting the enemy at that point and not making super great decisions. Maybe we're tight on our finances and we're trying to save up, we're trying to get out of debt and yet Amazon Cyber Monday happens and you're like, oh, I wonder what deals there are. Or we look at the deals of the day or we walk into a mall when we know and we bring our credit card in with us when we should have left it in the car, we're we're taunting the enemy. Or maybe we're on Facebook or Instagram and we've started following all these influencers and they just look like they have these perfect lives and their children all wear white clothes and everything in their entire house is white. Have you seen those people, those influencers? I'm like, I really don't understand how your child and your house is white. Boggles my mind. And we start to compare ourselves to these people and we're basing our image off of what these people say and what the internet says rather than what God says and we start to feel worse about ourselves. We're taunting the enemy So what does it look like for us to start being a little bit more standoffish, to be a little bit more alert rather than taunting the enemy? One of my favorite movies growing up as a kid was Home Alone, and um, they came out with a second one, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, I think that was called, and um, there's a scene in it where Kevin, he runs into um, the people that had robbed his house originally and, you know. What are the odds of that so he discovers them and, and figures out that they're gonna try to rob I think it's FAO shorts if you're familiar with the story now what Kevin doesn't do is he doesn't see them and start taunting them and go hey I know you guys you tried to rob my house but in a feat of amazing accomplishments for an eight-year-old I booby-trapped my entire house and I won and so try it again he doesn't taunt them in fact This is what Kevin does when he runs in to these two thieves on the streets of New York City. Check out the video. Hiya, pal. (gasps) That should be our reaction not taunting the devil, not taunting our enemy, not taunting trouble, but seeing it in the future and going, if I take steps in that direction, if I take small steps in this direction, it could lead to large circumstances. And so I am gonna scream like 1990s Macaulay Culkin and I'm gonna run away from whatever it is that is taunting me. Because I wanna make different decisions than Samson. Because I understand that small steps can lead to large consequences. So what does he do next? He's been in there, he's been with a prostitute, he carries these gates out, and he goes back to his hometown. What happens next? So he steps towards the same old sin. Samson takes steps towards the same old mistake. And we pick up the story here in 16.4, and it says this, Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now, here's the deal. Samson, early on in his life, he sees this Philistine woman. He decides that he wants to marry her, even though everybody warned against it because they're in war and it wasn't gonna end well. And God said, no, don't do that. He married her anyway. Then he just shacks up with this prostitute who was also a Philistine. That does not end well, and now... He falls in love with another Philistine woman, and it does not end well. Now, here's the thing. Samson should have started to understand his weaknesses. He should have gone, I have a real big problem with Philistine women, and maybe, like, I should should not go there ever and just stay away. I need to pull a Kevin McAllister and run in the opposite direction. He needed to know his weakness, figure out his weakness. And so one of the things that I was reading about Samson was that he was what was called, and I, and I might butcher this pronunciation, but he was, and here's the uh, dictionary definition of uxorious is how I'm gonna say it, which means that you are excessively fond or submissive to a wife. And one of these commentaries said, this was Samson's problem. In other words, Samson, when he got into a relationship, he was whipped, in modern day language. Now this word might get you a 36 on your ACTs if you're still in school. So remember this one, put it away. It's a big word, you're welcome. This was his problem. When he got into a relationship, he could not control himself where where women was concerned. And so here's what happens in Judges 16, five. The rulers of the Philistines went to her, went to Delilah and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Now we don't know shekels. We don't know how much. That doesn't make sense to us, but trust me when I tell you it was a large sum of money. One of those sums of money would be a large amount, but then they're saying each one of us is going to give you that amount of money. So the next couple of verses from six to 14, we see this pattern of her trying to lure the secret out of him. And she says, hey, when they're in bed, which was very clever, right? So she says, hey, tell me the secret of your great power. And then he says, oh, okay, well do this and I will lose my strength. And then in the middle of the night she would wake him up and say, Samson, the Philistines are after you. And then he would basically have lied to her and trick her and get, be able to get out of the situation. So the first thing he says is, tie me up with bowstrings," and if you do that, that's how I'll lose my strength. And so she called in all the Philistines, and they tried, but he was able to get out of it because it wasn't true. Then he, she, then he tells her, try new ropes. And then he says to her, tie my hair into a loom. Now, I want to know where where Delilah got a loom at like 1 a.m. in the morning. They're not small, so she has to go out and find this loom, tie his hair together, and then call him in again. Now, here's two options to the story. One of the options is that Samson was very uxorious at this point, that he just kept telling this woman that is betraying him things and knowing that she was gonna call in these Philistines. And then the other option that 's also a viable option, and this I didn't come up with this um, really smart people that were studying this passage came up with it and they said uh, that it might have been a really weird form of flirting that they would have this like play thing going on and she'd be like, Samson, tell me about your strength. And he would tell her a lie, but she knew it was a lie, but then she would bring in the, the Philistines to watch him conquer the Philistines. And so she'd be like, yeah, baby, you're so strong. And it was like this weird form of flirting, okay? Now that's actually almost a little bit better to me that that's what was going on than you were with this woman that just kept trying to betray you and you kept telling her the, like why would you stay with this woman, Okay. So let's hope that it was like this weird form of flirting. But then one day, I think something started to change in Delilah's mind. Maybe they had been together for a while. The honeymoon phase was wearing off. Maybe she's like, I've asked you to pick up your socks so many times, and they're still on the floor. Or maybe he kept putting the the toilet paper like over rather than under. And she was like, I'm done. I'm frustrated and they are gonna give me so much money if I betray him. And so one day, she's like, no, really, Samson. This time, we're not gonna do our weird flirting fetish thing. This time, I just wanna know, I won't call in the Philistines, but tell me the truth. And he does. He actually tells her the truth. And we see Samson taking his next step towards disobedience, towards doing the wrong thing, towards these small steps that lead to big consequences. And we see him assuming that his wrong actions aren't gonna cost him because he justified it. In Sam in Judges 16:20, it says, Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. He told her, the secret to my strength is chop off my hair, which we actually know is true. So, in the middle of the night, she chops off his hair. He loses his strength, but he says to himself when when he wakes up, It won't cost me. It'll be fine. And I think we tend to do this in our lives as well. We think, It won't cost me. It'll be fine. I'll just, it's the middle of the night. I'm lonely. Nobody's watching. I'll click, click, click. It won't cost me. It won't be a big deal. And you think that they won't find out. He or she won't find out. My spouse won't find out about what I'm watching right now. It's not making a difference in my relationship, but it is. It's currently making a difference in your relationship. And we think, it won't cost me. It won't make a difference. Or maybe we're making poor decisions at work. And we think, it won't cost me. They won't find out. Or maybe we're not valuing our friendships the way we should. We're, we're gossiping. We're We're not treating them kindly, and we think, they won't know. Nobody will find out. It won't cost me. But one day, it might, and that is the problem. One day, it might actually cost you. And in this circumstance, it actually did. It actually cost him. In the last part of that passage that we already had up, verse 20, it says, but he did not know that the Lord left him. I think this has gotta be one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. He assumed that his negative steps, his negative choices, that they would not cost him, that it would not affect his relationships, it wouldn't affect his heart, and it wouldn't affect his relationship with God, and yet it did, it did cost him. It cost him something really big. It not only cost him his relationship with God, but it cost him his eyes. So gore alert, verse 21, it says, then the Philistine seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. This was like the lowest of the low jobs in prison. They were purposely disrespecting him because of how much they hated him. But it led to him ending up with his eyes gouged out, being enchained and doing menial labor for what was going to be the rest of his life. So how did a man with all of these amazing opportunities with God behind him, how did he end up messing up his life? He ended up messing it up one small step at a time that led to some pretty big circumstances. So here's the moment of truth for us. Which direction are you heading in in your life? Are you still on the right snowshoeing trail or Have you started to veer off the track? Did you take a step in the wrong direction? Maybe you're on step one right now of 56,250 steps. Or maybe you are at step 56,249. Like you are almost there into no man's land that you want to be in. What does it look like for you? Are, are you needing to take a step around and turn in a better direction? If you're stepping away from God in any way in your life, it is never too late to turn around. If you have started that direction, if you are stepping away from God, turn around now, right now. And the cool thing, the uplifting part of this whole really terrible story is that it does end, in this point, on a high note. And here's where we pick up the story. After he's been publicly humiliated, and he's in jail, chapter, verse 22 says this. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, at first you read this, you're kinda like, I mean, duh, hair grows back, right? Kind of an obvious statement. So many, many years ago, I I was in a bad breakup and I was, uh, last week we talked about how our emotions can tend to get the best of us and we can kinda make emotional decisions that don't don't always go super great for us. And so I was really upset about this breakup and I was like, I need to do something intense or I'm gonna lose it. And so the only thing that I could think of that wouldn't have really bad consequences, like the story we're talking about was I'm like, I'm gonna chop off all my hair, and I did. I chopped it off, and I regretted it every day after that. And I would literally, I mean, if you knew me during that point of life, I would every day be like, my hair, it's my hair. But it did grow back. However, the other day, we were in my kitchen, and um, our engagement pictures, I still had this like weird, awkward length, because it had been growing out. And my husband and I, and and my son, my three-year-old, Trey, saw the picture. And he looked at me, and he goes, oh, was mommy a baby in this picture? And we were like, no, but I was going, I hope that he means that I'm a baby because my hair was short and kids have short hair rather than I look so much younger in this picture from six years ago and having you has aged me immensely. I'm gonna go with that option. But we were like, no, that was just a few years ago when mommy and daddy got engaged and and the picture's from the side. And he says, mommy's hair looks real silly in the back. (laughs) And my husband and I were like, Yeah, it really did. And my husband's like, and she should never cut her hair again. And we were like, yeah, but hair grows back. We all know this. However, this is not what they're talking about. They didn't just say some random obvious statement because yeah, of course, hair grows back. But the reason this verse is in the Bible is because his hair was a symbol of his relationship with God, his connection with God. And as it grew back, God was giving him a second chance to be connected with him again. God was saying, it is never too late. I'm always going to be here. When you decide to turn back to me, I will give you another chance. And I read this verse the other day and I literally got tears in my eyes and started crying as I was studying for this message. What an amazing message. Listen, you might not believe in God, You might be here this morning because some friend dragged you in here, but I believe that there is no coincidences in life and I believe that God has you in this room this morning for a purpose. And you might not believe in him, but he believes in you and he has moved heaven and earth for you to be here this morning and keep coming back and learning about this God that says it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter that like we learned about last week, you killed a bunch of people and tied 300 foxes together and lit them on fire. That was a poor decision, Samson. But yet when you come back to me, I am here waiting for you the whole time because I want to be in a relationship with you because I love you because it is never too late to say, I've started taking these small steps towards large consequences, but I'm going to turn around and start turning back to you. So my three-year-old, Trey, I'm um, not really sure why, it, it's something that I've, I've agonized a lot about, but, um, and I think I've shared this before, but for the first like three years of his life, he didn't actually like me very much, and some of you are like, oh, okay, you know, you're exaggerating, you're a preacher, you need to exaggerate for the sake of your message, I'm not exaggerating, and in fact, I took a live photo that the end of it looks really cute, or the, actually the beginning of it looks really cute, but if you watch it live, you can see my son Trey pushing me away from this picture that we took, actually at Nick and Cynthia's wedding, where I was very, very pregnant. Her parents were so worried that I wasn't gonna make it through the ceremony. So check out this little live photo. Now there's another one that we didn't end up getting on there but there are so many pictures and so many times where that would happen and literally after that picture I walked away and cried because it was so sad. Now, Trey pushed me away all the time, rejected me, would say mommy leave the room, mommy not in the picture, different things like that. But something happened this summer where he changed After so many prayers, so many tears, he changed and he started to like me. And here's what I did. When he started to want me around and say, Mommy, stand next to me. Mommy, come with me. Mommy, play with me. I didn't say, no, you rejected me, how dare you? No, I said, yes, I've been waiting for this. I would love to play with you. And there's a story in the Bible of what's called the prodigal son, where this son had ran away from his, his dad. He had taken his inheritance, squandered it. And when he comes back into the fold, the dad doesn't just say, okay, you're back. Well, you can live as one of my servants. No, he says, we're having a party. We're not just having a party. We're having the biggest party ever. And we're not just having spam. We're having Kobe beef steaks for everybody. It was a huge party to symbolize that he loved the fact that his son was coming back to him in the same way that when Trey wanted to be in relationship with me again in a a better way and embrace me, I was ready for it and willing. And so this morning, if that is you and you have been taking steps in the wrong direction, whatever it is, no shame. You know what your thing is. You know where you're going. You know what small steps you have started to take. I encourage you to turn back around, because when you turn around, the person's face that you're gonna see is God being there saying, I love you, I'm so glad you're back, let's have a relationship, let's grow in our faith, let's go out and be a green space in our community to continue to change lives. Welcome back, you are invited here. So what does that look like for you this morning? Every week we have at the Grove what's called a God space time where we believe that God is in relationship with you, that he speaks to you, that he he wants to speak to you. He wants you to speak to him. And so this morning, what do you need to say to him? What, What steps have you been taking that you need to turn around? Which direction have you been walking in your life? So right now in the quietness of your seat, take some time to have that conversation with God. I read this story I have to admit that I wanted to know why it was in the Bible because it's a terrible story where Samson keeps going towards chainsaws but as I started reading it and really studying it I'm so glad it's in the Bible because it is a story that is full of redemption of second chances of God saying you are welcome back anytime but be careful of the steps that you're taking because they can lead to large consequences so, make sure that your steps are leading you towards me and not towards chaos. Will you pray with me this morning? God, thank you for this story of Samson. I pray that if we have started taking any steps in a direction that we shouldn't go, that we would turn around and come back to you, that we would ask for forgiveness, but know that you are a God that doesn't condemn us. You speak to our heart and you tell us where you want us to go because you want what's best for us. So we pray that we would turn back to you, that our steps would take us towards you, towards having a better relationship with you and towards being a green space in our community to help other people know that there is a God who loves them. No matter what steps that they have taken, he is always there with open arms, waiting for them to come home. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to our message podcast. Are you local? We would love for you to join us in person on Sunday. We have tons of fun at our services. If you liked this podcast, take a moment to subscribe. You can click the share button and share it with a friend or take a screenshot and post it on your Instagram or Facebook. And hey, always remember you are loved.